Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to the Philosophy of Power podcast, episode three. I'm James Theodore Stillwell III, your host, and it is January 30th. Before we get into the meat of this program, I want to make a couple of announcements. One, we now have a the Philosophy of Power podcast on YouTube. So please go subscribe to the YouTube channel for the Philosophy of Power podcast. As I already said, this is episode three. It is Monday, January 30th, and it's about 10, 11 at night. So it is a bit late. Um, so in this episode, I'll be talking with Justin Effler. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, Justin is a Christian that I met um, a couple years ago or several years ago on YouTube. And I was, I've been a YouTube atheist for a long time. Um, not of the lefty atheist persuasion, but um, as more of the Nietzschean kind of atheist. And uh, I believe that I met him through probably comments section of my some of my videos, my many videos that I have on my iTheist, that's I minus theist, uh, YouTube channel. So if you, you can also subscribe to that one where... That channel is just basically focusing on philosophy. I don't really do a lot of videos on politics. So I've done some lectures and stuff um, on that channel. But the new channel, the Philosophy of Power podcast YouTube channel, go check that out. Uh, Subscribe to it. So, um, yes, Justin, me and him have probably debated back and forth in uh, YouTube comments section of my videos for, for a while. And then he like disappeared for a couple years and he just finally resurfaced. And we started having a conversation about, can there be an objective morality, even if God exists? And so you'll, you'll, you'll see that I state many of my reasons why I, you know, take the, the negative of I say, no, that God, even if God exists, there is no such thing as objective morality. And so he and I are discussing this and at first we're really just catching up on old times, but, um, that's what this episode's about. It's really about us discussing topics that excite me, right. And, and him. And, uh, for those of you who know me, you know that I'm a philosopher and that, uh, I've written a book on meta ethics. Um, and it's called power nihilism, a case for moral and political nihilism. And, uh, so I argue against the position that, uh, Justin has. And so I articulate some of those, uh, objections, some of the arguments I have against his position 
in the conversation uh, that you are about to listen to. So I just wanted to bring you up to speed on how this episode came to be, pretty much. And uh, it was basically a fluke, just an accident. Ran into the guy on Facebook after a long time, after years, and we just started discussing. And I said, hey, we can discuss this a lot quicker in a verbal format, right, other than typing. So I get a lot of people on Facebook and YouTube who want to have long drawn out, complicated, philosophical debates with me in the comments section, and there are usually more than one at a time. So I usually say, you know what, I don't do these long drawn out um, kinds of debates anymore unless it's through audio like Skype or phone or something like that because it just it's it's time consuming and it seems like each commenter always thinks that they're the only one I'm I'm addressing and it just never seems to be the case. So this is kind of my way of saying, hey, let's, you know, let's get some things done and get it in a reasonable amount of time. Let's, let's do it more efficiently. And I just, I just find it more enjoyable this way as well to, you know, um, discuss, debate, whatever you want to call it in an audible format. So, you know, a verbal format. So with that said, we'll go ahead and get to the interview. Um, first, I want to say, so um, this podcast, only episode one of this podcast is, is available on SoundCloud. Um, that should change um, next month, so February, uh, probably after the third sometime it should change and we should I should have all the episodes uploaded. I have to open up a SoundCloud Pro account, um, and so that means I have to pay them 15 bucks a month for them to give me enough minutes to upload all of those um, episodes. Um, but in the meantime, you can find all the episodes on the new uh, YouTube channel, uh, which I've already mentioned, and you can find all of the episodes on uh, TalkShoe and on my website, which is www.power-nihilism.education. So you can always go there and find links to my both my YouTube channels and to, uh, to my Facebook groups and everything else. Um... So if you, you know, if you like, go and check it out. You can also find, uh, you can also read my book that I mentioned already on that website for free, or you can purchase it. Um, and actually, I advise you not to purchase it until after like February 5th, because that's around the time that I'll be releasing a newer, better version of it, um, and a little bit cheaper I do believe too. So, um, it's, uh, it's in hardcover edition right now. So, and then I plan on actually making it a ebook as well, which will be a lot cheaper and you should be able to buy that directly from me. Uh, just go to, just send me an email at powernihilism at gmail.com and uh, let me know you'd like to purchase a ebook edition, 
and I'll go ahead and make that happen. But that won't be until uh, later. I'll, I'll announce when I'm ready to start selling ebooks again. Um, all right. So with that said, let's. Uh, Do you want to do video? Oh no, video is slow us down, man. Uh, okay. Yeah, it, it usually it usually slows us down, so I just say the hell the video. Um, plus, I don't have a webcam on on me right now, so I'm still working on that. On it's this, all good. On this current. So, so uh, how have you been? I mean, I've been seeing you uh, since uh, yeah, since I think you. Well, where, where was it in NorCal that you lived? Uh, I lived in um, Yuba City, Marysville, that area. Okay, for some reason I thought it was uh, like Tehachapi or something like that. No, no. Like past Bakersfield. But, uh. It's about 45 minutes north of Sacramento. I moved out yeah, here okay. in uh, 2012. I moved to New Hampshire. Is there any particular reason why New Hampshire? I mean. Well, um. I just like less government for myself, anyways, and I like, uh. Um. I like the fact that there's very few knife laws here, and I love knives. I have a huge collection of knives, and uh, I have axes and stuff like that. And uh, California is just, I mean, just insane with, you know, over-regulation on everything. So, Even knives? Yeah, like you, uh, you oh, can't... You, I switch blades. You can't carry around um, anything more than a certain inch or... I can't remember, but... Um, like I got hassled. <laughs> I got hassled a lot by cops and stuff for that, and I even had to pay a fine and um, all that jazz. So I just I saw I saw that they were doing the Free State Project up here, which is uh, where um, all these um, libertarians are moving here. And uh, while I'm not libertarian, um, I'm I, I do like less government. So I thought, well, what a great Great plan to move up here and get out of that. Plus, plus California is highly populated, and here it's you know so sparsely populated. I think the biggest the biggest uh, city here has probably five hundred thousand in it, maybe. Yeah, maybe less than that. I'm not sure, but yeah, I've never been there, but I can imagine. So a lot of trees and uh, you know some mountains and stuff. Uh, but yeah. nothing, you know, no, uh, <clears throat> not, not a lot of government is in comparison anyways. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that the laws there are, um, a lot more, I don't know how to define that, but I want to say conservative, but at the same time, when I think conservative, I almost think like, Oh, that they don't want as much, but I guess in the traditional sense, more conservative in the sense of you can do more things. I think it depends on where you are. Like right now I'm in Keene. So Keene is a college town. So you've got more liberals than say, you know, probably farther North. And also Keene is nearby. Like, um, I want to say Vermont or mass like those two. Anyways, it's not far away from, from other left wing kind of States. And so you get a lot of those people that come in here too. We, we call them mass holes. Some of them we call them mass holes because they move here and they want to make New Hampshire like Massachusetts or, you know, that area. So, um, yeah, so we get, we get those, 
like here because we're kind of like towards the you know the the outskirts and we're in a kind of a you know college town so you know you've got your I mean compared to California it's definitely more conservative where I'm at but it's not um, as far as if you take the rest of New Hampshire and you know into consideration yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. You were head. I remember you were heading out west or so, or east, I should say, uh, during that time. And I, you went through a couple different states. I remember even seeing you in a couple videos uh, hacking away with one of your axes at a portal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I went through hell trying to get here, man. I had to sell my computer and all that stuff, and uh, um, I had to sell my camera and all that. You know, it took me a while to get all that back, and. Uh, for a while, I was just making videos with just my iPad, and uh, I mean, some a lot of them you wouldn't even be able to tell, really. I mean, um, they're done relatively well considering they're just an iPad. But uh, yeah, I did. I went through some time where I was, uh, you know, in dire straits and uh, you know surviving. So doing yeah. better now, though. You know, doing better now, and. Uh, um, you know, I'm I'm actually originally from the East Coast, anyway. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I was born. So you're, you're familiar with that area. Yeah, I was. I born think I remember the first time I ever heard of you. I think you were talking to James White or something on like. Oh, Doctor James White. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember. I'm trying to remember what. Okay, so yeah, because I was, I was, obviously you know watch James White and stuff and dividing line. I'll think it was the dividing line at that time. Maybe it was. Was it? Um, yeah, it was. It, yeah, is then it, you called in or something, and you guys had a chat, and I'm like, oh, I looked up your channel, I was like, oh, let's interact with this guy. <laughs> yeah, I think that was back in, what, 2011? Okay, so I I really started getting interested in the whole comparative religion slash lack thereof, or, you know, that whole scene back in 2010, that was... Uh, uh, when that happened, and I, don't know, I think it was the year 2010 or 2011, and uh, yeah, now it's 2017. Time flies. I'm, uh, how old are you now? I'm I'm 31. Oh, I'm a few years older than you. I'm like 36. Um, 36. Yeah. Yep, I'm getting up there. Um, cool. Well, well, before like getting into the whole subjective, objective, morality, and all that stuff, I'm kind of <laughs> curious. Like, I'd like to hear like your personal journey to nihilism and the view that you basically uphold to, like okay. how it evolved or changed. Well, for people who will listen to this later, okay, um, nihilism is not, in the sense that we're using the term now, is not like some existential despair or angst. It is <clears throat> a meta-ethical position that has solely to do with meta-ethics and nothing at all to do with some... LARPy teenager or something, right? Um, or somebody trying to be edgy. It's it's just purely a meta-ethical uh, position, okay? But um, how I got into where I'm at now is, you know, a really long story, but I grew up in a um, evangelical kind of, um, you know, household. It was just my dad, and uh, he was a uh, Jesus people back in the 60s. And, uh, kind of a, like a charismatic, you know, like speaking in tongues at whole nine yards. And, yeah. uh, so, I mean, I'm going to give you a brief summary. Now, it would take me hours to, you know, cover sure. everything. 
And then, um, you know, then I kind of, when he died, I kind of got involved in all kinds of things like drugs and, um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say addiction too much, but more like exploring, right? When did he um, die? How old were you? Oh, I was like, I was like 15. Oh, dang, yeah, that's a tough year. And then, so I went to, I kind of bounced back between being in state, uh, in the state's care in New Jersey and, um, in the care of his, of my degenerate relatives who were all into drugs, most of them anyways. And then my aunt who was, who came up out of a kind of a Calvinistic, uh, Dutch reformed thing. So I kind of had a bunch of different influences and, um, you know, I was going through this crazy phase where I think I was, uh, I don't know. I was just experimenting with a lot of things. So I did a lot of things. I did acid. I, you know, got involved in, uh, heroin for a while. I did Coke. I did a lot of different things, man. And then, and then I, I, uh, kind of got, um, started to get curious towards my early twenties about other things like, um, deep questions in life. Um, you know, what does it mean to exist? All these different things. Like what are, why are we here? Uh, what is here? You know, what are the basic fundamentals of reality? Different things. And then I got into, uh, I was going to church. I started going to church and I was going to all these different churches. Like I was kind of hopping around, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, somehow I ran into, uh, through, through one guy that I met at this church, we became good friends for years and he introduced me to Ray Comfort. And then through that, I got introduced to Calvinism and like, uh, through reformed evangelists. And I started street preaching with reformed evangelists. And then I went in 2010 and I started street preaching with, um, Ray Comfort and, and, uh, reformed evangelists who, who teaches at, uh, I don't know if he still does, but he was teaching at, um, his ambassadors Academy, which is like where they pump out all of these street preachers. And, uh, I just thought I'd go, can I, can I, can I cut yeah, you off yeah, for a yeah, second? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Did, uh, I, didn't you know Tony Miano? I, I mean, I had met him. I didn't know him. You know what I mean? Like I had, I had common friends, friends in common, but I didn't know Tony. I met Tony when I went to the Ambassadors Academy and, uh, yeah, I had, I thought, you know, it's funny is that by the time I actually went, I thought that they were heretics not like going to hell but i but i was kind of an extreme calvinist so i thought like, <laughs> i thought like a lot of people were 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 really like going to hell i didn't necessarily i didn't, i thought they were her- heretical but i didn't think they were going to hell like i thought Ray comfort it's, it's was mistaken funny because Tony Yano, he's like an extreme calvinist i mean i'm a calvin i'm reformed i'm i'm pretty uh you know, quote unquote, I don't, I don't even like the label to be honest with you, Calvinism, because there's like a lot's loaded, you know, there's a lot of yeah. presuppositions and stereotypes, just like with any other type of label. But, you know, like, but he's like extreme, like he's the type of, now, nowadays, at least, he maybe is different then, but now he's more of a guy that's, uh, you know, if you're Armenian, if you're a true Armenian, you're, you know, you're a man-centered, you know, preacher versus God-centered, and, uh, you know, but he, he he holds that most Armenians are inconsistent, which I would which I would agree in some aspects. But that's another topic. But just a little a, a filler because I don't know if you remember, but I, it's kind of funny. We kind of have like some 
crossing paths in a way, but obviously completely different journeys. But, um, you know, like I was, was agnostic. I never was atheist. I was agnostic. Um, but you know, I started questioning and asking and praying to God and think God had, you know, Tony Miano approached me randomly out of the street at the mall in Santa Clarita and, and the rest is kind of history, but it's kind of funny that, you know, kind of cross paths a little bit. Yeah. And I've met, you know, I've met a lot of people like yourself. Um, I, I think a lot of people like yourself on YouTube, right? Cause I was, I went through my stage, you know, where I was like, I went from open air preacher Christian to like open air atheist, which was the member. That was the title of my, my YouTube channel. And, uh, right. you know, I changed it. I've changed it years ago, but, um, I went through this stage where I was just trying to deconvert everybody. You know, it was kind of like when you first become a Calvinist, you become like a rabid Calvinist, you know what I mean? And everybody's like, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about? You gotta know what I'm talking yeah. about. Like it takes you a couple of years to kind of mellow out, you know, it might take you less than that, but, um, I kind of went through that stage, but with atheism, you know, and, and then I just, then I just realized that, you know, when I, I think when I became, um, well, I think I was, I think I was, when I was an atheist, I was always a nihilist, always meta ethically a nihilist, but I didn't really know that term. Right. And, uh, if you'd asked me, I'd probably, I, I would, actually, can you, can you actually define that a little bit? I think I know what it means. So just, it just, like meta metaphysics, but more ethics, but with, uh, so it just means that there, there are no moral truths, no moral facts. Um, prescriptively speaking, right. Prescriptions are just, you know, when you say that I ought to do something, you know, morally, there's no, um, sense and reason in, in it without, uh, there, in other words, we don't believe in moral odds. We believe in rational odds. Like if you want X, you ought to do Y, you know, but we don't believe that odds or imperatives have any kind of sense or reason outside of the context of, uh, punishment and reward. Okay. So, um, we, so basically it's a, it's a form of, of meta, it's, it's a form of moral skepticism. We just, we don't, believe in moral truths or facts or objective morality. So we may have our own subjective values that we, um, prefer, you know, things we have our own collection of preferences, strong preferences. I actually appreciate that by the way, the yeah. straightforwardness of it, because, uh, you know, I, I, I talked to a lot. I, I actually do have a lot of atheist friends, such a lot of atheists who are actually very intelligent, by the way, mm-hmm. they're not like stupid atheists or something like that. Not to, not that I want to, you know, put that pressure on people, whether they're stupid or intelligent, but like we can hold conversations, but a majority of them would hold to objective right and wrong. But I don't really, pers- I know, and I understand that you believe that even with God, that you don't see something objective, but you know, I don't, I don't see, you know, I don't see that there is right or wrong. I just, I just think there's like a neutral, like it's just neither right nor wrong. It's just preference. Well, it, it, you know, it kind of we got to, you know, I wrote an entire book on this because it is a kind of a vast subject, right? So uh, the first thing I do in the book is start by defining terms, right? Because that's really important. If you don't define terms, like what do you mean by right and wrong, for example, then you're not going to know, and you have to get into kind of the theories of what moral terms and sentences mean. 
And what sure. I would say is that most of the time, um, particularly when you're talking to non-believers, moral terms and sentences are emotive. So, and I can prove this too. I can, you could pick anybody and I could just ask them, why is X wrong? You know, it could be, it could be like kicking puppies for fun or, um, I don't know, um, whipping kids with belts or something. I mean, just pick any kind of thing that you think is wrong. And I could say, well, why is that wrong? Right. And they'll, and it'll either come down, it'll always come down to once you peel enough layers and you ask enough questions, well, I don't like that. I mean, that's what it always comes down to. Or in a, in a, in a theistic perspective, God doesn't like that. So it always comes down to the non-cognitive. It doesn't come down to a belief. It comes down to a feeling, right? And that's what Hume got into is Hume thought, as, as I do, that um, morality is based on sentiment, not reason, right? So it's based on these, I don't like that, right? And that's why... Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with you. And disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but all right. I know it sounds like a contradiction because I, I personally, myself, like for example, I'm, I'm looking at my cat right now. I love my I love uh, my two cats, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know, um, obviously, if my cat were in pain or suffering or or what have you, I would. I would say it's wrong because, you know, from an emotive standpoint, I could see myself dictating some right or wrong off of an emotion, you know, given the circumstance, right? But in the same sense, you could still logically, or at least psychologically, apart from emotions, can say something is wrong because of something that's not emotional. Um, Obviously, we could get into that, but... You well, know, you could give me how I, that's you how could I, give me like a, you could give me a single example of what you mean, because usually what we what we mean by that okay. is then we're no longer using moral terms and sentences in a um, in a moralistic way, right? Because we can say that you got the wrong answer in your math in your math test, right? Which is what like people like Sam Harris will do, like they'll equivocate between. Uh, morally good and good moves in chess, for example, right? What is strategically good, right? And obviously there's a clear difference because we can say that's a good team or we can say, well, that was, you know, well, we can hope they're more. That was a good meal. Right. Or that was a good meal. Uh, But even, but that's more emotive, but we can say, you know, well, that's a good team, meaning that they achieved their goal, Right. Or that they they played honorably, right? Which would be more of a moralistic thing, right? But I'm just sure. saying, like, you see the distinction, right? Between using moral terms morally and using them in a uh, non-moral sense. Right. Like, like, like for example, I've actually re- refined it quite a bit because, like you, I try to think through as to why certain things would be wrong or right. And this goes... And this goes beyond, you know, just like morals, you know, it goes like just why anything, you know, um, but, you know, but what I really started to, but once again, like when I approach it, I, po- I, I don't approach this from, or at least I don't try and I fall short of it, obviously, at times or many times, is that I try to challenge my beliefs with the standard of God, 
rather than like why is it wrong for God or why is it why is it wrong for me because of God versus oh I just don't like it you know it doesn't make me feel good right like we're appealing to the emotions right and the conclusions typically are like I mentioned before, like in our private message, you know, yeah. the glory of God, not honor, the holiness of God, not reverence, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, those types of things. Like, and I believe that that is the biblical or theological, uh, consistent and sound way to say something is right or wrong. Like why is rape wrong? You know, like, Oh, rape's wrong because God have them with intrinsic value versus, you know, um, "Quote unquote blind, blind, blind natural Darwinian evolution. You know, this just you know survival of the fittest, whatever survives, might makes right type of thing. That as you progress with your circumstances or your environment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Obviously, you could get into that, but because <clears throat> I know you'll, you'll probably be able to ask like a million more questions as to uh, regarding that, which is totally fine. I only need one. How does God use more words and sentences? So, example, if if God says that murder is wrong, what does he mean by that? Yeah. Let's, well, I think before that, let's get into like kind of some basic terms, like degree upon definitions before we, so we don't equivocate. Well, I'm trying you know to do that. I, that's what my question's about. So like, oh, okay. so like when, when God says that X is wrong, what does he mean? What is, what does wrong mean in that context? X is wrong. Obviously, obviously I think there's, there's a there's a distinction that has to be made. Mm-hmm. For example, there there is, a, I guess you could say, a command slash circumstantial sin or wrong, and then there is a wrong just given the fact that it's it it's always wrong because it it goes against God's will. It goes against who God is in His nature, and since God is that standard. Now, before, before I get into any of that, like, I, I want to give an example, like, uh, you know, like how God commanded Noah to make the ark, right? Yeah. So obviously, you know, that, that's not something binding on everybody. That's not a command. that's like, Oh, well, James, I want you to build the ark right now. Right. Oh, you're not doing it. Therefore you're in sin. This is a particular command, a command, uh, in a particular circumstance that if Noah did not build the ark, he would be sinning against God and being disobedient. But it's not also commanding on everyone else. So if Noah, right didn't, if Noah didn't build the ark and God said that was wrong, right, for him to disobey, then, then what you're saying is by saying that God says that X is wrong because it goes against his will, what you're saying is, is that God says that X is wrong because he doesn't like that, right? Because a will is, is a desire for you to do something. So obviously if he's saying X, right, you, you ought to have done X, you didn't do X, therefore it's wrong. He's saying that X, the, or the, the wrong, right, means that you, you're doing something I don't like, right? So and we, and we can judge whether that's an extreme dislike or whether it's a, you know, just a preference or yeah, whatever. Or, but, or even the term like, you know what I mean? Because once again, we were, we were talking about emotions earlier 
And when we think about like, we tend to think of an emotion, right? And when we think of emotions, we think of chemicals in the body or whatever releasing that cause. Oh, no, 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 I'm not getting that far into it. I'm just saying, (laughs) I'm I'm not even getting that far. Like, it doesn't even matter, like, what level of like or dislike it is, right? I'm just saying that it's an emotion. It's referring to an emotion. What kind of emotion is really kind of doesn't really matter at this point. What What I'm trying to establish is whether it, I'm trying to get you to see that these are used, these terms, the reference to these terms are non-cognitive, not like, uh, for example, there is a glass on my table right now, okay? That's a, that has an objective reference, it is quantitative, right? But a uh, the, the term wrong in the context we've been using them has nothing to do with that kind of thing. It's not referential to in the world properties. It's just talking about, you know, it's an expressing an emotion. It's not, um, wrong isn't describing a feature of existence. It's just expressing an emotion about existence. Does that make sense? Uh, kind of. Um, and I would ask, okay, so where do you disagree with that or agree with it or whatever? I wouldn't say, I, I guess I, I don't, I don't fully, comprehend it exactly uh, or at least see it from from your point of view okay uh, well here let me help you so i'll give you a quick analogy so an atheist can say that for example you'll hear a lot of atheists argue that like sam harris or uh, i'm trying to think of you know people like uh, you know the whole less harm thing that they go with so uh, right. x is wrong because it causes harm it causes unnecessary harm right now, we can scientifically show, quantitatively show, that X causes harm. But we can't show the wrongness of harm. Do you see the difference? We can show that X causes harm or that X causes human flourishing. All that is scientific. But we can't show the wrongness or rightness of X. I agree. And by saying that X which is human flourishing is good. We're just expressing an emotion about the uh, factual, um, you know, flourishing of human beings, right? Sure. So I I, I talked about this in chapter uh, chapter two of my book, but I give like other analogies. But basically, that's it, right? We can show that kicking puppies for fun causes harm, but we can't show its wrongness. There's a difference between wrongness. And facts, right? Facts like external okay, facts. Okay, so really, really quickly, if I can inter- interject here, interrupt you just a little bit. So, okay, so I I, I follow you there, and I and I and I agree with you, mm-hmm. uh, or, or or at least um, in in that in your particular worldview. And, and you don't have to now, here. Well, let me just before you continue, let me just let me just state this. You don't have to give up Christianity to hold my metaethical view. Like, uh, have you ever heard of, um, I'm trying to remember his name. He's a friend of Cy Ten Brugate's, um, oh, what the hell is his name? I, it's been a while. Oh, Dustin Seegers. Okay. Um, I don't know who he is. You don't know who Dustin Seegers is? I'm, I'm totally surprised. But anyways, Dustin Seegers is, is a kind of, you know, he's apologist and he uses a lot of the, um, presupposition. He was using a lot of the presuppositional arguments, but me and him have had numerous conversations about this subject and he concedes. He says, okay, I'm a, I'm a nihilist Christian, right? I, I agree that God's morality is subjective. 
um, and that it's enforced by his power, you know, that would be the only binding thing about it is, you know, if you don't want, if you don't want uh, consequence B, you ought not commit, you know, action C, right? Um, so it's, it's kind of consequentialist in that, in that respect. I, I, I do believe there is a consequentialist view of God. Like, for example, I do believe that disobedience to God is is wrong, whether that's subjective or objective. So I do, I, I would agree with it in the sense of if, obviously, hypothetically, for the sake of our conversation, if God were to exist, particularly the Christian Christian brand, you know, disobedience to Him would be wrong, whether it's subjective or objective. Regardless, it's it's a sin. You would mean you would mean wrong in what sense? <laughs> wrong that you would face a undesirable consequence or I would say particularly because of his might, which you're trying to argue, and because of his holiness. Because that would be a disregard for his holiness or purity or perfection. It would be like a demoralizing or disrespect of the status of God, which which I think that you would be agreeing upon in the sense of might makes right type of subjective, like I have the upper hand, so you need to be obedient to me because I have the upper hand. Well, of course, of course I, I agree with that aspect. I guess what I'm saying, like, when you say perfection and holiness, like, I, I, I automatically think that that is talking about something uh, that is qualitative, that is, that is emotive, right? perfect by whose standards, right? Like God is perfect. If we say God is perfect, that's to me, it sounds really circular. Like you're just saying God is God, right? It doesn't really give us any information. Well, I, I do believe in a sense that it is circular. Okay. But then, then it's a failure to elucidate. Then you're not giving us any information. So we can't really, doesn't really tell us any, like, you know, like, um, William Lane Craig's moral argument, right? You know, he, mm-hmm. he, he has his moral argument that he puts out and he basically defines goodness as God. Well then, well then that doesn't really tell us anything. It's like, you know, it's, it doesn't tell us what goodness is really. It it just, it's like saying, um, again, it's circular. It's just saying God is God. It's not really, uh, I, I it's not telling us why something is I good. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I definitely could see how you could say it is circular, um, but I, well, we're not really arguing. Well, I guess we are arguing, not, but not really in that syllogistic form formula, you know, because typically, obviously, if you're arguing the syllogistic formula and you're trying to prove a point, circular logic is not something you want to do, right? Right. Well, then I could just say, you know, the Bible's wrong because it's wrong, right? <laughs> and that doesn't... It doesn't get us anywhere, does it? You know what I mean? Sure, sure, sure. So, and so if I guess I would say why God is good, um, well, first first of all, I would admit full-heartedly, and this is what I've been really challenging myself with over the last couple of years, is when, I, when people such as ourselves, or especially Christians, when we say God is good, we, we think of, oh, God's good because he did X for me, Right. Right. So like I, God, but I've been really trying to myself. Well, why is God? God's good because of His nature, not because of actions necessarily that He's done. Even though those actions would be good because it reflects who He is. And I can understand where you can think, oh, well, that sounds circular, you know. But when it's all said and done, like, well, no. If you, if you done, say if you say God is God's action A was good, right? 
because it caused um, consequence B, then that's not really circular. You're telling us why and everything. And it just means that that term good in that context is actually uh, a non-cognitive expression. You're saying, I like the consequence of God's action in my life. So you're calling that good because of that desired consequence, right? Yeah. But when you say that God is holy and just, and then when I ask you what holy and just is, and then you basically go down this list that basically at the end of the day just means God is God. <laughs> you know, it doesn't tell me what God is or what just is or holiness is good. It just, it just, you know, they're just all synonymous with one another. And it's, <laughs> and, and, and here's, and here's the thing. I will admit that, like, for example, E.W. Tozer. I'm sure you're familiar with E.W. Tozer, yeah, uh-huh. the Reformed theologian. You know, a lot of times uh, people like to break down God in his divine simplicity. Now, divine simplicity is just God is his attributes, right? Right. Mm-hmm. God is omnipotent. He's all-knowing. He's just. He's, he's um, timeless. He's endless. He's eternal. He's uh, faithful. He's, he's loving. He's... Uh, wrathful, etc., uh, etc. Et you know, the list goes down. Um, but um, but he, but basically, there. I, I I take the mystic approach, but I also believe it's a biblical approach, which is most, which is obviously how I want to appeal to things from as a Christian to the Bible. But is that God? It. We can only understand God in so much as he's revealed himself, right? So, for example, in um, general uh, general revelations such as the universe, you can kind of understand him like how Paul talks about in Romans 1 with his eternal power and divine nature. You can kind of see the fingerprints of the majesty and eternality and the strength and mighty power of God through the vastness in, of the universe and the telos of the of how our world is placed, particularly in the cold, vast universe that basically hints at no life anywhere other than where we're at. But that's but anyway. But like, there's general revelation. Then obviously there's a special revelation through scripture and how God has revealed Himself, you know, in in that form. But what I mean by the mystic approach is that we can only understand what He's shown us, right? So I cannot bring because obviously we're materialistic beings in the sense that we're we're physical, you know, uh, we're in a physical universe, right? And so we, when we think of things, we we relate them to things that we experience and know because that's all we can know, right? And so when we think of God, we can only really try to rationalize with, with things of this world or universe, right? And right. so. And so when we think of God, I think God is mysterious. And I know that that's like a laughable term. It's like God works in mysterious ways. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you well, know, but this conversation think, wasn't to uh, prove the existence of God or something like, you know, sure. like I've even, I've even said for the sake of argument, I would just grant, you know, that God exists just, just for the, so we could get on with the meta ethical portions and the, all that stuff. Right. Um, because I, I don't, I again, I think that's irrelevant to whether that. Because I can grant, I can grant God exists, and that He has all of these attributes that you just named. But then I can say, how do you derive oughts from these facts, right? How do you logically deduce oughts prescriptions from these from these facts, 
from these collection of facts, right? Any more than a rock or a uh, swimming pool. Like, I understand that you think, like, these things are great, but that's a subjective feeling that you have, right? And so how do you how do you derive some sort of obligation from that? See what I'm saying? Some sort of to-be-doneness, right? To be what? To-be-doneness from those facts. Oh, oh done, do, wait, doneness or dumbness? To-be-doneness. To-be-doneness. Okay. Um. In other words, so if, if God says, thou shalt not kill... Other than other than just trying to avoid undesirable consequences, why ought someone not kill? Why ought not someone not murder, for example? If you want to, you know, see, see, these questions are very fascinating, and I do believe that there are different answers for each particular scenario. Like they're not all like the same answer. Do you know what I mean? Why well, like, why, why is rape wrong, or why is killing wrong, or murdering wrong? Why is this? particular thing, right? I think it really depends on on the context in which it's in which it's in. Okay, so, so I'm reason. walking I'm on my way to the store tonight and uh you know I've had like uh thirty beers and I figured, you know what, I'm just gonna go shoot up Walmart. So I go down to Walmart, you know, and I take out my <laughs> uh you know my uh, my rifle and I just start shooting people just because I'm angry and I just feel like doing it. You know what I mean? Why not? So what would be, what would be, how would I be wrong in that sense? Why ought I not get drunk and shoot up Walmart? Not that I would ever do something like that. One one would be to your point of disobedience to God, which is, I command, therefore, which is, I think, what you're trying to argue in the first place. Just commandments, just just because I command it, it's wrong. Um and then another would have to be because... Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me, before we, we, we can't just jump over that big assertion and then, you know, that, I mean, it would be lovely if I could grant you that free miracle, but I can't do that if we're going to go anywhere. Like, I have to stop you there and ask you, from his command, from the fact of his command, why ought I listen to it? Other than, you know, avoiding consequence. Of him, like, turning me into a... I don't know, something I don't like or sticking me in a furnace forever or something. Because, well, I think it would be in violation of the greatest commandment, which would be to love God and love Right, others. but why, what is it about, what is it about his commandments that issue forth some sort of to-be-doneness, to that something ought be done? What is it, what makes it wrong to transgress his, uh, his commandments? This is what we're trying to get at. Because well, I think because it one because once again God, as the Scripture says, is the author of life, and God is the one. Okay, but how do you get from that? How do you get from that fact to you? Therefore, you ought not do X. Like I'm trying to understand how do you get from this this fact that God created everything? Right, He's the author of all things. How do you get from that fact to therefore you ought not do that? It seems like you're smuggling in some sort of human concept of ownership, but that's just a human concept or a concept created by oh, mind. It's a, it's a subjective thing. Like, you know, it's something that, that we've let's, let's, created. Let's get into those terms really quick. Like, so let me, let me define subjective and objective. 
And then we can agree or disagree on it, just so we're, we, then we can kind of go from there. Okay. So, subjective, uh, from how I've studied it and understand it, would be it, be it pertains to the individual or circumstance, opinion, or preference. That would be, that would be subjective, right? Well, we, we, I would say... It would be different between person to person. I would, right? say, I would say that a uh, morality is objective, if it is independent, if something is wrong, if an action is wrong, uh, whatever, however we wanted to find that, uh, that something ought not be done independent of one's wishes, wants, uh, feelings, or desires, right? So it's it's mind independent, right? Okay, so so let's take that. So would the law be like let's just say uh, state law, right? Would that be an objective law for the people of the state, or is it just subjective? No, it's, it, I mean, obviously not. It's, it's, it is subjective. It's something that, I mean, if, you, if we're talking about the, the physical paper with letters on it, then, of course, that's objective. But if we're talking about, like, the prescriptive law, of course that's subjective. I mean, that's something that humans, some humans came up with and said, well, you ought do this, Right. Because if that's objective, then then fine. Then you ought give me all of your money right now. You should just send it to me in PayPal. Like if that's objective, then me and my neighbors just got together and we all voted that you should give me all of your money, send me your car, you know, all that stuff. Like you know what I mean? Like that's that's obviously subjective, right? So what I'm saying is, is how does I guess what I what I encounter a lot with Christians is this, the fallacy of special pleading, right? And they fail to see that the same as it applies to me would also apply to God. And if it doesn't, then you need to show how is he different sufficiently that it creates this, um, to be done this, right? Well, and, 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 and this is my answer. So when it comes to the human subjectivity, such as arbitrary laws or feelings or tastes, right? Like, we are, each individual, this this is what it applies to, but with God being eternal, and since the law comes from within himself, it's, it's something that's always existed, so it's never made, right? Then it supersedes, it supersedes everyone as far as it's the prescription, and it is the way in which um, it's been designed through through objective purpose for all of mankind. Okay, what is so, it? Oh, hold on. There's there's a lot in there. We need to unravel if we're gonna get sure. Anywhere. So I mean, if we're I'm I'm really just trying to understand. So, um, first, a, an objective purpose seems really oxymoronic to me because purposes, as far as I'm I am aware of, in my study of metaethics, are always subjective, um, and then. Uh, so why? Like you, why are they subjective? Well, because they're they're a desired outcome, right? They're a subjective desire. So I have a goal that I ought not die, therefore I ought eat, right? So oughts are derived from these these value premises, these um, goals, these purposes, right? So um, I ought, from these I'm able to derive a bunch of oughts, right? We're, we're not we're not bridging the is ought gap because we're not deriving values from facts. We're deriving values from values. 
or we're deriving prescriptions from values, I should say. But if a right. way, like the, the word, the term ought, it, it would also be understood as should, right? Like well, yeah, there's other ways you can say it. Like, you know? But it's synonymous, right? So ought is like should. Yeah. Like, right, well, and, should, and should and ought are a term that would be on, understood with, with a purpose. It can be used quantitatively like... Uh, if I turn this key, the car should start. Like, I'm not saying that it ought to start and that it's immoral if it doesn't. I'm just saying that given the uh, regularity of how this machine functions and how it's designed to function, it would it would be reasonable if it started when I turn this key, right? It's it's a mechanical should, whereas there's like a, a another kind sure. of should that we're kind of getting. I follow. Okay. Because so I've had, I've, I've actually had secular ethicists try to equivocate between those two. <laughs> like they will, they will try anything. They're they're slimy little, get their slimy little <laughs> fingers and you know try to try to weasel their way and they, anything to cling on to this this uh, term objective morality, right? Anything because well, the well, whole it's also a psychological struggle to really come to the fact that you know ultimately. There's no right or wrong, right? You know, it, it's it, it's a, there's a, it's a huge psychological struggle for people to to be able to accept that because it's like, yeah, and even that's why a lot of people even you know uh, you know believe in the afterlife too is because it's, you know the concept and the emotional struggle of this is it, this is the end. You know what I mean? Uh, so people try to think of things such as. Oh well, they're in a better place or something like that, you know, because of the psychological struggle behind knowing that there there would be no right or wrong or purpose even. You know, obviously you create your own purpose given, you know, you know, an atheistic mindset in the world, you create it for yourself. Right. Well if you're but, if you're that kind of you know, like if you have that kind of mindset, that kind of psychological condition to where you are that kind of weak person that you, you literally cannot fathom a life where your purpose and your meaning and your morals are not dictated to you by some external source, then yeah, I would say that that can be an, an internal crisis and, and is for a lot of people. And so they will cling on to anything, but it's also about power too, because power is if you can, if you can convince a bunch of masses that you know, the masses that your opinions and your preferences are, quote, superior and objective, right? Then if you can elevate it to like science or something, right? Or at least convince people that it's on that kind of, you know, plateau, then you can control people, right? You can control behaviors. And that's ultimately what morality is about. It's about controlling people. It's about power. Well, same thing, same thing with politics. Time, I think that's, it, um, even if I were hypothetically an atheist, you know, that, that, like, as far as a preference goes, I'm not saying it is right or wrong, but that is only really a way to, to have it livable. Because if everyone had the mind, and I'm not saying you have this mindset, you live by this mindset, but everyone would be, be like, hey, well, you know, um, I'm going to will whatever I want to will. I'm going to kill people. I'm going to steal. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. And if everybody held that mindset, it would just chaos would ensue. And, you know, well, you I don't think, imagine that the chaos. Yeah, I don't think that in a world without morality, people would just start or belief in morality that people would just start willy nilly doing whatever the hell they want. 
in the absence of morality and restrictions, like, you know, consequences, then, then yeah, I could see that. But we don't live in that world. We live in a world of consequences. We live in a world that if I do X, I'll get, you know, Z. And I may not like Z, so I'm not going to do that, right? That's not my preference, right? If I, if I piss off enough people, they might form a mob and come get me at some point, right? So I, I don't think that that's really... Um, but, but anyways, that doesn't even matter because that's, that would be an appeal to consequence, right? So it doesn't matter whether that would be the case or not. It doesn't make morality, you know, suddenly pop into existence. Can, right? can I ask you something yeah. on the mm-hmm. topic? Mm-hmm. So, okay. So obviously you're, you're very in favor of with or without God, there is no objective right or wrong. Right. Depending on how what, you define that. What, right? mm-hmm. Yeah. What would be. Or what is it even conceivable to you, or or coherent even, for objective morals to even possibly exist? And if so, what could what could that be? Well, I I mean I'm not like in the way that I normally employ that term I would say no, but if we had something like if we're gonna call like some sort of universal morality like where God creates everyone with a purpose. Right now, no one is bound to no one's bound to that purpose. Like, for for example, I can create a knife to uh, gut rabbits and someone else could take that knife and go, well, I'm going to use it to cut carrots. Right. Um, Like no purpose is binding. So it wouldn't be objective in that sense, but it would be um, universal in the sense that objective for a tool. In the sense that, like, knives are designed to cut. And since in a godless universe, we're not designed, we're just evolved, right? Um, There's no purpose other than what you assign to yourself, right? So, but in in a god universe, you would have a purpose. You wouldn't be bound to that purpose, but it would still be there nevertheless, right? It would still be something that you were designed to do, right? Right. And, And so let's say that you were designed in such a way that if you didn't fulfill that purpose, that you wouldn't be happy. Right. But I'm not sure that I'm not sure that that even does it. If that kind of worldview does it, because to me, it still looks like you're still operating at least to some extent off of hypothetical imperatives. So if I want to be happy, I ought to fulfill, you know, God's purpose. I ought, I ought, not do X and do Y, right? Because I want to be happy and I want to be fulfilled in life. Like how, how, do you, how do you view the Bible in terms of that? Like that's very similar concepts that you're just talking about, but mm-hmm. God, like I know you don't believe in God in the Bible, but, mm-hmm. but I know you have a basic or a, a pretty good understanding at least of the God of the Old and New Testament, right? So like how do you view God's attitude and his perspective? Like does he look at it as from an objective standpoint? Like, like there is an ultimate wrong and rights to be done, or do you think it's just purely might makes right? Oh, from okay. So you're saying from my perspective, if God were to exist, uh, of course, I think it's just might is right. It's just you know, um, that's just it's power. It's power is right, and you know, I'll define power. That that's actually if you uh, if you ever read my book one of these days, and the people that might you know listen to this later. Um, my philosophy is actually 
it's called power nihilism. That's what I call it. And, and it's summed up into, uh, I've summed it up into a couple different, um, phrases. Hold on. I'm kind of stalling myself cause I'm, cause I'm pulling it up here cause I don't have it like memorized verbatim, but I will, uh, pull it up here real quick. So shame on you for not memorizing it. So I know really, um, well, I might say it, I'll be able to say it, but I won't be able to say it exactly how, you know, how I have it. I've already penned it. So I want to say it, uh, hold on. Okay. So, um, objective morality is illusion. Existence is a war of competing powers. The free man is a warrior skeptic. Um, power is right in a descriptive sense, right? Because if it were in a prescriptive sense, that would be an is not fallacy. Um, life is will to power. So power can be defined. And I think it's, I think it's very important to define power because, um, people use that term in a lot of different ways. So how I'd be employing that term is, um, you know, so it is brute force. It is physical strength. Uh, it is, uh, it denotes ability, right? Um, so example, if I don't have, um, use of my arms and my legs, if I'm, you know, like that scientist guy, what's his name? Uh, uh, is it Steven something? Yeah. So, um, if, if I'm like him and I can't move, right. Then I don't have the power, the ability to get my coffee, right? Um, I can't institute my, my is to be my ought, my prescription, right? Um, the ability to fit into one's environment, um, is, is another kind of power. Um, we were just talking about another one with, which is a kind of manipulation where you can convince people that your morality, your, your imperatives, your prescriptions are somehow binding and that that person is bound to follow those edicts. Um, we could talk about, hey, hey, can I, can I ask yeah, you something uh, really quick? This type of mindset and philosophy, it, would you say it's, kind of similarly derived from Nietzsche's, uh, like survival of the fittest type of thing, like an evolution. Is that how you kind of view it? Well, Is it derived not out of pre not necessarily a premise, but kind of a premise. I, I wouldn't say that Nietzsche believed in, I'm not sure what you mean by survival. I'm not sure that Nietzsche had that. Well, that sounds more well, red beardy. And I guess, but survival, when I mean survival of the fittest, I mean, obviously you have to have power to survive in your genes to move on, right? So, so obviously the, the weaker species dies out and the stronger species moves on. And so, and that's, that, that is a basic understanding, at least from what I know of the, uh, Darwinian naturalism, at least, is right, that, right. But the stronger the gene, the stronger the except the, that. Uh, except that, I want to. Um, a lot of people can be very naive with that principle because strong or strong is not is kind of misleading. Because, um, for example, uh, there are micro microscopic organisms battling inside you right now, and one day one of them probably will kill you if cancer or something else does. Right. So, uh, something much, much weaker than you can be superior in the sense that it, its power is its size, is its lack of size, right? It depends on what the environment is to whether a certain characteristic is a powerful, 
you know, whether it's power yeah, or whether so it's I, a hindrance. I don't mean it in a, I guess you could say quantitative sense, like in the physical sense of like they're bigger, therefore they're better. Well, like, I just mean that they're that they're able to, you know, overcome uh, the other quote unquote victim or like in general, stronger. in general, yes, the powerful generally do um, work out pretty well, right? In general, like the the physically stronger people in general do like in nature dent. Uh, do tend to work out pretty well and, and better than the weaker ones. Um, but again, it, it really depends on the context. Cause like, you know, I, you know, like you could stick a fish on land and he's going to die. He's not going to make it, you know, and you could stick a human in the ocean and well, he's inferior in the ocean. Right. So it's really the context that in the environment that makes something inferior or, you know, there's no like, right. There's, but either sense, it's relative. Know, is what I'm environment, it's one is stronger than the other, given the particular right in the environment that it adapt to, adapted to, that it adapt to fit into, uh, and that's actually the way you know natural selection works. Um, then that, yeah, then that is a kind of power, if you will. Right. I, I guess what yeah. I, I just don't want people to get caught up in a very. Um, a non a, a, a definition of power that is not broad enough, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like a naive kind of um, power. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's power. longer than like a one or two sentence understanding. Obviously, it's and I and I and I under, and I understand it, and it's, it's it it clearly depends. But ultimately, when it does come down to it, the stronger survive. And obviously, in general, you want, yeah. to li- you want to live, and adopting that that philosophy of I want to, you know, spread my genes or just move on and become stronger would be your perspective of good. Uh, subjectively, I get. I mean, power, yeah, yeah. I mean, more power, more power um, is is subjectively good, but I don't think anybody would disagree with me on that. Well, no, that's not true. I would say that a lot of people wouldn't, but I would say even the people that pretend to, that think they do actually don't really in, in some ways. And and I, and what I, I mean by that, like, or nihilist, it, it, you know, and they may not, they don't even realize it. There's a lot of Christian, a lot of Christian nihilism, for example, you know, uh, I'm going to pray to God for a raise. I'm going to pray to God for, um, you know, uh, I don't know if you can just think of op- options where it's like basically God's your personal genie. You know, it's like it's really your God's your God is your servant rather than you submitting to God. There's there's even Christian nihilists in that perspective. Yeah, like a man-centered, anthropocentric uh, theology where God yeah. is. God is responsive in soteriology, and so he's like your bitch mate, and he comes when you're ready. You know, he calls you. It's it's not like in, in Calvinism where actually the only reason why you are able to repent is because he's he's done something in you first. He's given you, uh, taken away your stony heart and given you a heart of flesh, right? He's, he's, he's made you spiritually alive. That's something you couldn't do by just saying a prayer. Like the reason why you're saying a prayer is because he made you spiritually alive or it's because you're a fake, right? You're just trying to get something. So I'm, I'm talking as a Christian right now, like, like from that perspective, right? Obviously right. I don't believe that, but I'm saying like, 
from that perspective. Like I understand that perspective, you know, of how, how they think. Right. But, uh, if you read the introduction to my book, there's a guy who went through that. He went from, from an Arminian kind of free will theology to a Calvinist theology. And then he came out of that to where I'm at. And he ended up writing the forward to my book. Right. And, uh, you know, I think you should, I think you would, uh, really benefit from reading his account of his deconversion, his thought process. Cause he goes into some of that and his thought processes, processes as he's lying in bed and thinking about some really deep questions. Like, um, you know, he was having a crisis of faith and he was realizing, well, if I'm having a crisis of faith and God has control of everything, then if Satan is tempting me, right, then, uh, God's allowing it. And not only that, but he's foreordained this to happen, right? So even if I don't believe, I don't believe because I was never regenerated, but I was never regenerated because I wasn't chosen before the foundations of the world. And then he realized that, that at all of creation, all of creation was created to glorify God. Well, if I were to say that about myself, I would be called an egotist, right? I would be called uh, a uh, someone who's full of myself, you know, a tyrant even. But somehow when it's God, it's not. And what I would say is that that's an effect of bad conscience, that Christianity has taught people to feel bad about their own success and feel bad about their own power and only feel good about this other mind called God and his power. And that's part of the reason why we would call Christianity and religions like it a slave religion, because, um, well, theism in general is a slave or is a slave mentality because you have this, again, you have this, this ego in the sky and only his ego is allowed to be gratified and you must subjugate yourself to that will. And if anybody else were to be like that, well, then that's just, that's just jacked up, right? Can, can so, I interject really quick? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, here, here's even an interesting concept, too. Like, the term ego, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have the dictionary in front of me, but basically it is like an un, a, a, a perspective or belief about yourself that is either not true or beyond oneself. And so that's why when people dislike the, the like an arrogant or an egotistic person, you know I find that very interesting because it's uh, because I believe intrinsically I know you I know you would disagree with this right but we you know it it's a natural tendency in many ways to dislike someone because they don't because people don't feel like they're worthy or. They're, they don't, they shouldn't be in that position. I use the word shouldn't, but only, obviously people aren't saying it, but I believe that God is in that position to be able to have. Right, right, right. And, and I, right. And I would say it's because he created everything. So he gets to take credit for that. Right. So he's, I wouldn't wouldn't just say it's because I think, well, I, I would acknowledge. Yes. I would say yes. But I think it obviously goes a lot deeper than just, Oh, he created it. I think it's just a it's just a, a reflection of just who he is in this character. And obviously, you can go into the whole all the definitions and attributes <laughs> of God and, and and explain it in that form by divine simplicity. But there's 
you know, but yeah, that would be one way to say, oh, well, he created everything. He he made everything the way it should be. So everything that should reflect, uh, such as praise and glory, should be reflected back on him. Okay, and then I would say that, I would say that, so say he were to exist and all that, and he could take credit for that, right? I'm not saying he should take credit to anyone, because I don't believe that you can, you can say that from the fact Right. Logically speaking, I'm saying from a human perspective, yeah, he can take credit for that. But logically speaking, it, it doesn't make any sense to say, you know, he ought to take credit from the fact that he created everything. Like to me, that's that's that does that transgresses the fact value distinction. But but I will why say, what? but huh? I'm sorry. Why why don't you think that he should take the glory? No, I'm I'm not saying that I think he shouldn't. I'm saying that he can't logically say that. Nobody can logically say from the fact that he's created everything, he ought to take credit for it, right? Because that's, unless you're assuming some some sort of value premise, right? Well, with with the term credit? Well, every ought is conditioned by an if clause, okay? Every ought that has any kind of sense and reason has, is conditioned by an if clause. So if I want X, I ought to do Y. So you can't get from a fact, Right? not an if, but a fact that it is the case that God has done X to therefore he ought do Y. That doesn't follow logically. You can say it is the case that God values X, therefore he ought do Y, or it is God's goal to do X, Y, and Z, therefore he ought do Y, but it doesn't make any sense to say God has done X, therefore he ought do Y, right? It, it just doesn't logically follow. That's all that I'm saying. But from a human perspective and the way we normally use language, yeah, that makes sense, right? In that sense, the way we use language, like, you know, not in a debate setting, but just talking back and forth. Yeah. I mean, I would say that I probably have said that before, like about other people. Well, you've done X, you've made that achievement. You know, you should, you know, be proud of yourself or you should get credit for that. Right. We all say things like this and just normal everyday. But, does, but doesn't that follow logically, though? That no. if you get credit first, if, if you do something, you should get credit first. No, that's a human convention. Whatever. It's just a human convention. It's just something we made up. I mean, you can't logically derive from the fact that someone created the automobile to therefore they all get credit for that. It just doesn't follow. It's like saying um, John works at a pet shop. John kicks puppies in the back for fun. So when does, when puppies, does someone get credit for something? Huh? When does someone get credit for something? Are well, you that's subjective. That's just totally subjective, right? That, I mean, that's, that's just subjective. That just, just depends on who you ask, right? Some people may have different standards of accreditation, right? Um, so I mean, that's, a, that's a very normal and almost universal one that most people, I would say, tend to go to. And that's because it works for us in society, right? That's like, if we didn't, for example, if we didn't extrapolate from the fact that you worked a certain amount of hours to therefore you all get paid, well, then the worker and uh, um, employer relationship wouldn't work out. We wouldn't have an economy, right? We, we do all these things for practical reasons because it works for us. If we didn't, if we didn't come up with... Um, you know, uh, legal lies, right? That's, that's what legality is. It's just something we made up. It's a convention. 
if we didn't if we didn't make up these lies and act as though they exist and as though they're binding, then we wouldn't have a society, right? So we do all these things for practical reasons, and that's why I say um, morality and language generally is is uh, and and politics is not about truth; it's about power. That's what it's about. It's about practicality. It's about so, survival. So, so, like, let's just say that the Nazis gain power, right? Yeah. And, you know, have you heard of that TV show, The Man in the High Castle or whatever? Um, I, I might have heard of it. I've never seen it. I don't even have a TV. I haven't watched yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, it's, uh, it's basically, it's, it's on Amazon Prime. It's a, TV, it's a new TV show that was released. It's a hypothetical series based off of, like, what would have happened if the Nazis won. Right. You know, but, like, and I, I just bring that up. It's kind of, the show has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But mm-hmm. it, just in the sense of... You know, like if they won the war and basically, you know, ex- exterminated all the Jews and or anyone that basically was not, you know, Nazi blonde and or, or German in descent or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, you know, if given enough time, you know, you can condition the culture to believe that you know killing Jews was was right. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, that's basically. Um, yeah, power decides. Actually, power decides history, what? and power decides. So, and so, right, right. So, but I, I, what I'm saying with with God is that how am I gonna? How do I explain this without like causing confusion? Or uh, so because we're talking about what prescriptive. So pre prescription is in a sense, objective, right? Because it's binding on others, regardless of their beliefs. Obviously, it's subjective to the lawmaker, right? In the sense of, it's, they make, the law lawmaker prescribed this law to be binding on everyone, right? So, you would say that it's subjective based off of the lawmaker, right? Because he made it up, right? But I'd also say and, it's subjective based on those who are supposed to supposedly supposed to follow it, because with that prescription, the the person can say that the person's reasons for following it would not be, you know, they would be contingent upon the if clause. Well, if I don't want to go to jail, then I ought not break this law. Right. It's it's not it's always based on what the individual wants right? What his subjective sentiments are, what his goals are. He yeah, desires people, to be free. Therefore he won't break that law or and, if he can get away with it, he might do it. Right. So like, for example, with, with the, with uh, the theistic perspective or Christian perspective, for example, you don't rape because there is an intrinsic value to uh, the, the person that reflects the image of God. So, and what do you mean by tr- intrinsic value? Because I know that some secular ethicists will say that, for example, um, and I've dealt with this in my book, but they will say, when they say intrinsic value, let's say that something is worth valuing regardless of whether there's anyone there to value it and whether anyone sees it as a value or not, it's still a value. Is that what you mean by intrinsic value? Yeah. Then I would say that's a, that's a myth. It doesn't exist. Well, I, I understand you believe that because, you know, because of your, your well, perspective. But right, but I would God, say I would say what would be your argument for that? Like, I, I can grant you free well, miracles. Well, I could well, just grant you that. Once again, value, what, 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 what's your understanding of the term value? 
value to okay value just for me anyways for as far as i can tell is that value just means that one is it's something that minds do so it's something that minds are doing right so when i say that x is a value i'm just saying that i prefer x or i extremely have an affinity towards x it's something about me not really about x you see what i'm saying it's 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 really non-cognitive it's it's just saying x is a value is saying something about myself because it doesn't make sense to say that anything is a value if there's no one there what a value in what context what does that even mean like what does it right. mean? You know what I mean. I, I think it comes back down to to the uh, uh, per, when it comes back to purpose and its reflection upon upon God. Okay. Uh, hey, hey, um, my wife got home. So oh, I, I got, got you. Okay. I got to get going though. All right. We can continue this. Though, yeah, we could do a we could do a part two or something. You know. Oh, sure, sure. But okay. it was a, it was a good talk, you know. Yeah. I, I I love it when I can actually talk to people without arguing, like have people get upset, you know. Because oh no, yeah, no, I'm not upset. I do this all the time. Oh, I know you're not. I'm just saying, like <laughs> this this stereotype is, you know, fighting. That's a stereotype. No, no. I mean, I may not. I may not just let you get away with free miracles because I know once you do that, you're able to build off of it and then get up to all these things. And I'm like, well, but it's on false foundations, you know. And it, so I have to, I have to stop you in order to get you to justify the claim you just made, so that we can then go from there if you can justify it, right? You see what I'm saying? Like it doesn't make any sense. If I just give people free miracles and then they're just able to build on that, you know what I mean? Like yeah, I could, well, I could, we'll, I could we'll grant you that for the we'll sake continue. of. We'll yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah. Another time, I got, I gotta go pick up dinner real quick. So I got you. All right. Well, but, yeah. Good, good catching up after all. I'll let years. you. Uh, I'll send you a link when this is published. All right. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. All right. Bye bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed that uh, little discussion. Um, so. Eventually, I would like to do a live uh, program, so I'd like to start doing live episodes on YouTube, and um, as far as I understand, it seems like I have to pay for an encoder uh, encoder service, um, like a monthly thing to make that happen, and then also to get this... Um, podcast onto SoundCloud, I'm going to have to pay like for the, for the pro service, which is like 15 bucks a month, something like that. Um, because they don't give you enough airtime or minutes or whatever you want to call it, um, on their platform with just the free, you know, the free account. So as it stands right now on SoundCloud, we only have episode one on because I went to upload episode two and, it, and they're like, well, you only have an hour and something minutes left. And the episode in question, episode two, was like two hours and something minutes. So they weren't going to, they weren't going to let me do that. So that means I've got to open up a pro account to make that happen. Now, um... You know, so I'm going to be shelling out money and I could use your support. If you enjoy, 
you know, this, this conversation, if you want to see us go live and maybe take your calls and stuff like that, um, then how about throwing me some shekels? That would be awesome. You know, just throw me a few bucks, man. Um, just go over to www.power-nihilism.education and you'll see a donate button and don't donate some money through PayPal. Um, you know, just a few bucks will help, man. And uh, I'm not asking for a lot, you know, just like if a couple of you donated a few bucks that would help me out, help me get started. And, um, you know, maybe we can take this, take this live. I also need a webcam to make this live, to make, you know, live shows. So I don't have one on this current device, uh, that I'm using on my, my main, uh, desktop computer here. So, um, I could use some help there. So if you guys have any ideas, if, or whatever, uh, you want to throw me some shekels for that, I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to try to do as much of this on my own as possible, you know, fork over the dough, the dough on my own to make all this happen, but I could use some help and, uh, I'd like to see this program, um, you know, to, I'd like to see this program expand and, um, I'd like to see it just become more quality as time goes on. So, um, yes. So if we can do that, that would be great. And, um, actually the, uh, my PayPal email is openairatheist at gmail.com. If you want to do it that way, that would be great. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to do that. And I'd like to cover, I'd like to do live shows and cover current events. So we could cover what's going on with Trump or what's going on with SJWs and the protests and the feminists and whatever, whatever subjects you want to tackle. I'd like to be able to do that. It's kind of hard to do that when you're not live, right? So, um, that would be, uh, that would be something that I'd like to do in the future. So with that said, after begging for shekels, uh, I think we're done here. I don't know when the next episode will be, but, um, just, you know, stay posted on my websites, uh, on my website. And, um, also feel free to contact me on Facebook. Many of you are friends with me on Facebook already. Um, but, uh, yeah. So be sure if you're on you, if you're watching this on YouTube later to, you know, like, rate, comment, subscribe, share on all your favorite social networking sites, uh, YouTube, you know, um, Twitter, Facebook, um, all that. And, um, oh, also, uh, before I go here, I just wanted to bring up the fact that this, uh, podcast could use a you know, like an intro song or something, maybe like 15, 30 seconds long would be nice. Probably 30 seconds would be optimal. So if any of you guys like the show and you like uh, what I'm doing here and you have some musical abilities, please feel free to go ahead and send me an MP3 of uh, something that you've come up with that you think would be, you know, a good, uh, intro kind of theme song to this podcast. Just send it to, 
um, powernihilism at gmail.com. And uh, I'll give it a listen and I'll get back to you and let you know whether I think it's suitable. All right. Later. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.